Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, we see not only challenges, but we also see ways in which you can move us to meet those challenges. And so we pray now that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's message may be one of the most important that uh, I'll share in this series because this is all about finishing the race. We all know that we are born into this world and God willing, and as far as we know Jesus, we are on this march to heaven. And we look forward to the day when Jesus calls our name and invites us to come home as well. But we need to finish the race for that to happen. In 2 John 1, verse 8, it says, Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. We've been looking at life's healing choices, and we've gotten to the seventh one today, the seventh of eight of them, and this is the growth choice. The growth choice you can see on your outline or on the screen is this. I reserve a daily time with God for Bible reading, self-examination, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. That's our growth choice. Let me ask you this question. It's kind of an obvious question, maybe, given that this is our choice today. Are you going to be more spiritually mature a year from today? Today is October the 17th, 2010. Will you or are you intending to be more spiritually mature a year from today? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I really don't know, then you probably won't. Because growth is a choice. Growth is intentional. You have to say, I'm not going to be the same next year. I'm, not, I'm going to let go of this painful past. <clears throat> I want to let go of all of these persistent sins. I want to let go of these personal weaknesses. And by God's strength, God's power, I'm going to be different next year. I'm going to grow spiritually. <clears throat> now, most of the verses that we're going to look at this morning that are on your message outline are going to have the word continue in them because growth is really a continuous process. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's just that simple. If you're not growing, you're dying. 2 Peter 3.18, which is on the screen, says, Continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now today, we want to take a look at a few ways in which we can continue to grow so that next year, on October the 17th, 2011, or whatever Sunday's close to that date, if I stand up here and I say, how many of you have experienced spiritual growth this last year? Hopefully every hand in the room goes up, with the exception of those before probably who said, I'm not sure. Like I said, if you're not sure, chances are you won't because you have to make that choice. Well, the Bible tells us some different ways to keep on keeping on. In fact, there are seven of them 
that we're going to talk about this morning. So let's get at it. Here's the very first thing. I need to fix a daily time with God. In 1 John 2.18, it says, Now, dear children, continue. There's that word again. Continue to live in fellowship with God. Now, fellowship's an interesting word in the Greek language. It's koinonia. Now, what does koinonia or fellowship mean? Well, I always use a kind of a goofy definition. Fellowship is two fellows on the same ship. Well, you know that if there are two fellows on the same ship, you're going in the same direction for the same purpose. That's what fellowship is. You're going together, you're walking together for the same reason, same purpose. Now, I've been in fellowship with God for 60-plus years. And I've got to tell you that one of the hardest things in my life is being consistent in my daily time with God. Now, some of you would say, well, gosh, you've been a pastor for almost 25 years, you've been in ministry almost 45 years, and you're going to tell me that you have a hard time being consistent in your daily time with God? And my answer is, uh-huh, I do. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Satan knows that if he can keep me disconnected, that I'm worthless. Satan knows that I have no strength then against his temptation. He doesn't care what I do in life just so long as I don't spend time with God. And guess what? He feels the exact same way about you. This may come as a shock to some of you, but you were not put on this earth to do things that are on your to-do list. In fact, the best piece of advice I could give to some of you is to have a to-don't list. To write all that stuff down there that you ought to don't do anymore. See, God created you for a purpose. The number one reason God created you was so that you could uh, know him more, love him more, and so that he could know you more and love you back. Now, if you're not spending time knowing and loving God, you are missing the number one purpose of your life. See, if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Exclamation point. Now, why is that? It's because you have found a way to put everything else you can in front of the number one commandment. What is the number one commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and Satan fights against that because he knows that if you do it, you've got power. 1 John 3, 6 says, Everyone who lives in union with Christ does not continue to sin. That's an interesting passage. Anybody here continuing to sin? Uh, maybe there's a broken relationship here uh, because it says he'll give you the power not to. Now, the reason I keep falling into the same dumb sins over and over, the reason I still struggle from time to time with personal weakness is because I don't spend time with God. Now, I'm not telling you I don't spend any time. I'm just saying that when I don't, I experience what I might call a little slippage, a little bit of leakage here. Now, I also want to be bold enough to tell you, friends, that if you don't get this one, if you don't get number one, you might as well go home. You might as well hand somebody your offering and go home, because if you don't understand number one, the other six of these this morning, they're not going to really matter. They don't really matter if you don't have 
a daily time with God. Colossians 4.2 says, Continue praying, keeping alert, always thanking God. Now this means that you don't just do it in your quiet time. And I don't care where your quiet time is. You know, virtually every morning when I come out, I see my wife sitting at the table in the kitchen. That's where her quiet time starts. I know when I get here, it's my office and I take out my daily prayer with God and my scriptures. Some people do it at night. I don't know when your quiet time is. You just have one. You talk to God all the time. You talk to him like you talk to your best friend. In fact, you know, I can talk to you and I can talk to God at the same time. Do you know that? I mean, sometimes actually when people are talking to me, I'm actually talking to God at the same time. Court comes up to me and she says, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. And I'm standing and I'm looking at her and at the same time maybe I'm thinking, God, what in the world do you want me to say to this young lady? She thinks I have the answer. I'm not as smart as she thinks I am. And I kind of need the wisdom, and I, I need to know what to say because I haven't got the foggiest idea how I'm going to answer her question. But see, I can talk to God, and I can talk to Courtney at the same time. In fact, I'm talking to God right now while I'm doing this sermon, and you know what he's telling me? Move on to number two. Here's number two. I must fill my mind with Scripture. You don't need to raise your hand on this. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but... How many of you believe everything you watch on television? How many of you believe everything you hear on talk radio? How many of you believe everything you read in the Texarkana Gazette or any other newspaper? How many of you believe everything you read on the web or on Facebook? How many of you believe everything you read on people's blogs? Different question. How many of you believe everything you read in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you know this, uh, coming from the North, but I do know this, that the average Chicago Tribune weekend edition has more words in it than the New Testament of our Bible. In fact, I'd venture a guess that the Dallas Morning News or the Fort Worth Star-Telegram or maybe even, you know, one of our other local papers out of, Fort, uh, out of uh, Little Rock or whatever may have more words in them than we find just in the New Testament part of our Bible. But guess what? I know people who will take that paper and they will read it from cover to cover. They will not set it aside until they've been through that entire paper. But guess what? They have never, ever read the New Testament. James 1.25, the truly happy people. I, I should stop it. Anybody here want to be happy? I, mean, I, I'm, I vote for happy. I'm going to tell you how to do it. There it is, right on the screen. The truly happy people are those who carefully study God's perfect law that makes people free. They continue to study it. They do not forget what they have heard, but they obey what God's teaching says. There's the secret to happiness. You want to be happy for the rest of your life? There you go. You hear the word of God. You study the word of God. You do the Word of God, you obey the Word of God, you memorize the Word of God, and guess what? What are the results if you do that? Well, besides being happy, Second John 8 says, if you continue in my Word, then number one, you're my disciple. That's what happens. And number two, you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So how do I keep on keeping on? How do I keep on growing? I fix a daily time with God. I don't know what I don't care what time it is. I really don't care how long you sat. This sometime, and I start filling my brain with scripture. Here's number three. I focus on my goal and not my habit. You know, there is a law, certain laws in the universe. You know, we know about gravity, but there's another law of the universe which is called the law of attention or the law of attraction. I could have demonstrated the way, Laura, you did yesterday at uh, the LWML rally. That was really great. You used the broom. And you know that when you put the broom in your hand and you look at the bottom, your life, it falls over if you look up there. But how many of you ever have stood up in a high place? You've been up high on a bridge, up on a cliff, uh, or maybe on a tall building, and you looked over the edge. What happens? You begin to feel like you're being pulled over. Well, that's the law of attraction. That's the law of attention. Now, obviously, you don't move towards things that don't have your attention. If I don't see it, I'm not moved to go there. So you need to make sure that your attention is toward good things and not bad things. Now, let me tell you about one thing that attracts a lot of people. It's what's behind them. They're attracted to their past influences. But I want to tell you, friends, your past does not define you. What matters today is what direction are your feet headed? Are your feet headed towards the cross? In fact, I, I would tell any of you here, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you did it with. I don't care how long you did it. That's your past. That's over. Now, Satan will tell you the past is who you are, but that's not the truth. You've got to stop focusing on your past. Instead, focus on your goals. That was the reading Kevin shared this morning. I focus on this goal of heaven. You know, that's why diets don't work, for example. I mean, when you're on a diet, what are you focused on all the time? Food. When's the next burger coming, huh? When's the, when can I find the next milkshake? You know, the whole time you're focusing on what you really don't want to do. Philippians, I'm going to go back to what Kevin shared before. He says, I don't mean that I'm already as God wants me to be. I've not yet reached the goal. And we know for Christians, the goal is what is heaven. He says, but I continue trying to reach the goal and make it mine. Now, I believe in setting goals. Because I think goals are simply little statements of faith. And as I read my Bible, I, I see the Bible saying, without faith, it's impossible to please God, or according to your faith, it will be done to you. And, and a lot of us need to learn how to set some faith goals. Now, this is not on your outline. It's not on the screen. Uh, but um, this is called bonus sermon time, okay? I'm going to tell you how to set a faith goal. And it's pretty easy. If you can remember the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, you can remember how to set a faith goal. F stands for focused. You need to have a focus on a goal. Be specific. Don't say, well, I kind of think I want to. <laughs> no, I plan, I'm going to focus. The second, the A is attainable. It has to be something I can do. You don't say, I intend to lose 75 pounds by tomorrow morning. I mean, short of the amputation diet, that's not going to happen. It's got to be attainable. You've got to be able to do it. Uh, I, it's got to be individual. 
you cannot be setting goals for everybody else. Like, Susanna, I got a goal for you. No, I start with myself. I don't set goals for my spouse. I don't set goals for my kids. I don't set goals for, I got to start with me. The T is it ought to be trackable. In other words, I ought to be able to figure out whether I'm making any progress. That's like if you're going to say, you know, I, I, I'm going to focus on losing weight, or I'm going to focus on the fact that I'm going to lose weight by this time next year. In fact, you might even say at the beginning, I'm going to focus on losing 25 pounds by next year. Is that attainable? Sure it is. Individual? Yes, it's me. Uh, is it trackable? Yes. It's called a scale. I can stand and go, yikes, you know, it's going the wrong way. It also needs to be the H, and it would be heartfelt. I mean, if you don't feel it, if you don't feel that faith goal, don't set it. I, I, a passionless goal you will never reach. That's why I always say, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. You need to learn to set some faith goals. Focused, attainable, individual, trackable, heartfelt. Well, look, let's go back to the message. Here's, here's, how do you do it? Maybe this is where it leads to number four. How do you do this? Well, number four, face and forsake failures quickly. Now, here's the problem with failures. It's pretty easy to confess and forsake a sin you did, oh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. The hard sins to deal with sometimes are the ones you just did. But see, I need to learn to forsake and confess my sins instantly. This is the key to spiritual growth. You don't let sins stack up. I showed you this a year ago. I, I think I preached it on the screen, but some of you have seen that show, Hoarders. Oh, that show gives me the willies. Yeah, I, I just hope I don't turn in to be a hoarder. Uh, but, you know, that's the way some people do with sins in their life. They just stack them up and pile them up. And it gets deeper and deeper. You know, you, you need to keep a short account list with God. You know, uh, confess your sins every day. Deal with it. Um, you know, take out the garbage every day, as someone has said. That's how you do that. Now, how do you do that? Part of our, this goal today is that we have this time of self-examination. Now, I'm not going to go really deeply into this, but I think there are at least three ways you can examine yourself. One would be what I'd call a spot check. I mean, ask yourself right now, how am I doing right now? When it comes to my spiritual growth, when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, how am I doing right now? Well, some of you probably say, well, I'm pretty smug because I'm in church. I'm okie dokie. Well, you can dig a little deeper than that, but that's probably a good start. But there's also a daily examination. That's how did I do today? You know, as you're getting ready to go to bed, just kind of back and say, how did I do? And see, maybe you go, oh, man, I, you know, can, once I recognize something, what, I go back and I deal with it. And then there's an annual checkup. Every once in a while, you just deal with it. First Corinthians 11 says, if we examine ourselves, we'll not be examined by God and judged this way. Um, okay, I think God's probably a little bit more thorough than I am. Uh, but God wants to give us a body scan because he wants to see that sin because God loves to forgive sins. You ever heard that before? God loves to forgive sins. I mean, he, he never gets tired of it. Psalm 103, he forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. It even says in the Bible that God is the healer of the brokenhearted. I'd venture to say there's a brokenhearted person here today, one or two. God says, I'm here to heal that. I can do it. I can put hearts back together again. And he says, just come to me. Here's number five. Flee temptation, but don't fear it. 
Flee it, but don't fear it. See, now when God gives you an idea, we call that inspiration. When the devil gives you an idea, that's called temptation. Now, what you do with those temptations determines whether it turns out good or bad, right or wrong, sin or righteousness. But I'd say, don't be intimidated by temptation. I mean, even, for heaven's sake, even Jesus was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that you and I are. That just blows my mind sometimes because I know what tempts me. It's kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that Jesus had that same temptation. It says, but he didn't sin. See, when Satan, as somebody says, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I mean, don't fall into temptation. I always love Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, you, can, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So I flee temptation. I don't fear it. And let me let you in on a little secret here. The closer you get to God, the harder Satan is going to fight against you. That may surprise some of you, but you know, the closer you get to God, the harder Satan will fight against you. But you know, the further away you are from God, Satan doesn't really care because he knows you're messing up all by yourself. But you know, if you get close to God, next knock on the door may be the wrong guy. Well, given a situation, I know this from working with guys in prison, you put people in the right situation. You, I, I could take any one of you, if I put you in the right situation, you'd be capable of doing anything. That's why 1 Corinthians says, be alert. Continue strong in the faith. Have courage. Be strong. You need to know what tempts you, and you need to stay away from it. You know, there are two things, really, to stay away from. One is tempting situations, and one is tempting associations. I love these two quotes. If you don't want to get stung... Stay away from the bees. Hang around the barbershop long enough and you're going to get a haircut. I mean, that's just the facts of life. Now, I just want to give you a couple of real common areas to flee from. One of them is sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Saunter away from sexual sin. No, it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. It does not say saunter away. It does not say stroll away. It does not even say walk away. It says run. <laughs> Feet don't fail me now. Run away from sexual temptation. Now, when I was a high school teacher, uh, it, um, I told kids, you don't make up your mind to stay pure in the backseat of a car. I'm talking to you guys right now. I mean, you're never going to make your decision to remain pure in the backseat of a car. You make that decision to remain pure a lot before that time. If you're in the backseat of a car someday, you're going to be thinking with your glands and not by your plans. That's why you need to run. And not run just from sex. This is for some of you older folks that didn't get this first part or didn't think you need it. And you're wrong, by the way. Here's another temptation to run from. It's the temptation of money. First Timothy says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires 
that plunge them into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs, but you, man of God, what does it say? Flee from greed. Pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, endurance. You don't fight it, you flee it. You go after the good stuff in life, and that's the stuff that God is aiming you towards. Okay, here's number six. Form an ongoing support group. In other words, you need people in your life. You need good people in your life. Uh, you, you just don't, you're not going to get well on your own. Uh, if you could, you would. I mean, that, God has wired us up in such a way that we kind of need other people. That's why I would tell every last person, all the way from James, all the way to the back to Eddie, you need a core of good, solid Christian friends. I'm, not, I'm going to put that in, I'm say underscore it. You need a good, solid core of Christian friends, people who honestly care for you in the name of Jesus, people who, when you ask them to pray for you, will honestly pray for you. Now, let me ask you something, friends. Do you have people praying for you? Do you know that? Do you know that there are people praying for you? I mean, don't say, well, I kind of think the pastor probably does. Well, yeah, I go through alphabetically through our church list and pray for people. But do you have other people who pray for you? And the, the, the opposite, are you praying for anybody yourself? If you don't, I hate to put it this way, but I pity you because you're kind of here on your own. You're helpless. You don't have anybody helping you with prayer support. Now, I actually can feel it sometimes. That's a strange thing to say, but I, I can tell when people are praying for me. I can feel it. And you need people to do that. You need Christian friends who support you, and that's what prayer is for. You, you need Christian people to encourage you. Hebrews 10, we should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage one another. Here's the last one, number seven. Follow Christ to the finish line. You know, one of the great promises in the Bible is found in Philippians 1.6. I am sure that God who began the good work within you will, what, continue to his work until it is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, I don't know if any of you are discouraged today. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that can discourage you. I mean, even my Huskers lost yesterday. I think on, the fa on Facebook last night I said, I'm bummed out. But I'm at least holding on to the Rangers. <laughs> that lifted my spirits just a little bit. Those of you who root for Arkansas, I don't know, when you score 43 points and the other team puts up 65 you might be a little discouraged. I don't know what's knocked the wind out of your sails lately. But if you are a little discouraged right now, I've got a great verse for you. It's Galatians 6, verse 9. Don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged or give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. Now, I don't know what you're going through, friends, but I'll tell you this. God is not finished with you. God is going to continue to work on you all the way home. 
And with that being said, may the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit bless you this week as you seek to continue to live for him. And as you take these steps, may he bless you in every area of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.